Look, it's been incredibly exciting. The the weird thing for me, from a from a, I'll tell you a personal story, is that when I arrived here a few weeks ago, they placed me in the middle of the music team downstairs. So one of the first things that happened is that they all went into this meeting, and then they came out obviously quite upset about Concert FM in this last week has been a bit of a roller coaster ride. And then they come out of a meeting today and uh, some people have their jobs again. Smiling faces. Smiling faces. And Hayden, Helen Clark there that we spoke to in Oslo, she was very concerned that the commercial imperative shouldn't be a focus for Radio New Zealand. Yeah, and that's fair in a way, and that's used to protect Concert FM. I feel a little bit <laughs> like defending Paul Thompson here, even after a week of uh, of, of of criticism, uh, because I'm not sure that this news service was necessarily meant to be a commercial service or that it was meeting a commercial need. They were seeing a gap in their own services that wasn't being met. They didn't provide for youth, and part of being a public broadcaster is to reflect the entire public. And so they think, oh, well, we're going to try and appeal to 18 to 35-year-olds. And the problem was that they did this at the expense of Concert FM. Right. Well, everybody's been talking about this this week. You've got some choice audio for us, have you? I do. I mean, it's just been a very turbulent week, and I'd just really like to recap it if I, if I can. There's been some great interviews. So when concert was obviously announced, the cuts to concert were announced, a lot of our cultural grandees, our titans, they went out in defence of it. There was a lot of people, Helen Clark obviously among them. She was the leader, the ringleader of it all, but there was many others. And so was, I'm just going to play a couple of my favourite clips. Uh, the first one here, this is Mary Lambie, the broadcaster, talking about it. Getting rid of those 18 um, presenters, I think, was just horrendous because they are the only people who can pronounce those ridiculous names. Those musical names, the their study of European languages is phenomenal and I think, Paul Thompson, you've got rocks in your head, but I don't think it'll work. You see the light of day. I think he'll be terrified. He'll be really shaking under his RNZ yeah. mat. Zara said what? Mac. Matt. Oh, Matt. <laughs> we all, have you not had your mat, Karen? We all have mats here and we go under under them I'd rather when have we're in Mac. moments of terror. An RNZ Mac would be quite cool. I'm sorry, Paul Thompson, but yes, rocks in his head. And of course, Chris Finlayson made some very stern comments, didn't he? No one was more upset by this proposal than... Uh, classical music lover Chris Finlayson, lover of the Russian composers, loves his Rachmaninoff, loves them all. Uh, he had this comment to make. Well, I think it's a fundamental flaw to think that young people are only interested in the music of Amy Winehouse uh, rather than the music of Brahms. I love that, that his, that's his most modern media reference that he's gone for there, that, that, that Amy Winehouse is the thing that he still thinks that the youth are listening to. I think Amy Winehouse might have been dead for 10 years now, just about. Avondale Bowling Club, you might have got it right. A, Amy Winehouse might be being played on classic hits now. Possibly. The sound. We might be talking about Billie Eilish or something like that. A little bit more modern, Chris, in your references next time, but I understand that you... Um, more of a concert fan than somewhat of a flavour fan or anything like that. What are the kids listening to, Hayden? Anyway, that's another story. And what about our Prime Minister? She's had a lot to say as well, and she was angry. Yeah, so I think that probably Paul Thompson, this cut back to concert could have been 
you know, salvaged if it wasn't for the fact that he actually alienated the government as well as all of these people on Facebook and Chris Finlayson, etc. And so the real, I think, the nail in the coffin of this came on Monday when Jacinda Ardern goes into Mike Hosking's show and she says the following. To say I've been a little bit missed by the situation would be an understatement. So what are you going to do about it? I do take seriously the fact that we need to allow Radio New Zealand to undertake their own programming. You know, it wouldn't be appropriate for us to jump in there. But I see this as beyond programming. The movement of it off the FM frequency, uh, when the minister was briefed on that uh, recently, he expressed serious concerns about that, asked for a bit of time to see if we could find an alternate so that wasn't the case. Uh, RNZ went ahead anyway. She's got a fair point. Yeah, and Paul Thompson actually acknowledged that there was a miscommunication with the government. So Jacinda Ardern is saying Chris Farfoy asked for more time. He said he might furnish RNZ with an FM frequency to use for its youth service, and RNZ ignored him, essentially. But I have to jump in here and say, Hayden, a miscommunication with the government you know, is not one conversation. These uh, initiatives like this um, happen over many, many, many weeks and months of talking and uh, you can't, you can never come out of a discussion with the Crown and from one conversation and say this is what is going to happen because it takes such a very long time to move and all the I's have to be dotted and the T's crossed. So it's a, it's a strange miscommunication. Yeah, and I guess this is what Paul Thompson was telling Lisa Owen on Checkpoint on Tuesday you know, he was just saying, look, maybe it was a complicated negotiation. They didn't get the right idea, but we thought that we had told them about all of our plans. There, there was something where he almost he, he said it was implied that Concerts FM frequency would be at risk, almost. That it was obvious, but maybe it wasn't actually made clear to Chris Farfoy. Obviously it wasn't made clear to Chris Farfoy because he wasn't aware that they were going to go out with these I guess plans. what I'm saying is that Chris Farfoy does not stand alone. He has bureaucrats behind him who um, brief him, give him papers on the history, the current situation, uh, sign things off. Do uh, you know what I mean? It couldn't have happened with one conversation. Yeah, I, I really, I don't know. Neither do I. I'm just I feel surmising. like I'm on trial here. No, I don't I... know whether the, the the discussion, the nature of the discussions were between Thompson and, and other RNZ executives and Chris Farfoy's office. And it looks like maybe there there was a there was only. A, a minimal or not a sufficient amount of communication, or at least maybe not a written communication, because it's obvious they didn't have the full plans in front of them. So, Hayden, seeing you've been bang smack in the middle of the music department at RNZ, have you worked out what the youth network's actually going to be? I mean, I think... Got this, any intel? <laughs> I've actually, this is actually quite an, a, like a, a conflict of interest for me. I don't know whether I should be approaching people in the usual way or just walking over to their desk. But anyway, this you is think own goal? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> just, hi, what, give me the news. But, I mean, this, it's an odd week in that respect. But I think that's something that's been lost in this, and it's something that RNZ hasn't necessarily gone out and given a lot of details on. You know, they haven't said exactly what this youth network would be how it would fill a gap in the market, and probably there hasn't been much of a defence there. And I think that's possibly something that Andrew Holden, the media commentator for 9 to Noon, highlighted earlier this week. This is what he had to say. 
I haven't seen the voices from the young people of a Pacifica background in Auckland speaking about why this would be a good thing for them. I'm not seeing the op-eds in papers written by a 20-year-old music person in South Auckland saying, I need this voice, this would make a fundamental difference to me. I mean, possibly somewhat inelegantly stated, but... This is something that probably we should keep in mind. And uh, there's a lot of loud voices in the room calling, uh, rightfully defending Concert FM as something that's very meaningful to them. But the other side of this is that Radio New Zealand obviously identified a need or a gap in what they are providing to people. And that's this services for people, uh, not just young people, but Māori, Pacifica people, they aren't tuning into Radio New Zealand and they do want to address that. There's a lot of people that say that can't be done, but maybe there is some cause for optimism there. I'm actually going to be interviewing Ollie Wards, who is one of the directors for Triple J in Australia, which has been cited as a success story in this space, and I'll be talking to him for Sunday about whether it can actually be done, whether you can actually do a youth station successfully. What's their Indigenous content? See, I, yeah, I, I mean, watch this space for for Ollie, but I'm not sure that Triple J would be exactly what... I wouldn't be a total analogue for what Radio New Zealand is trying to do, but I do know that people at Radio New Zealand have been speaking to Ollie and possibly others at Triple J, and so maybe some of the lessons that have been learned over there will be transferred. Triple J is quite mainstream some of the time, you know, with its top 100 and all of that kind of thing. It does have a real, even though it's non-commercial, commercial bent to it. And that's possibly what Radio New Zealand is actually looking for, this mix of commercial appeal that will actually drag youth in and then also heavily New Zealand content and some alternative content as well to fulfil their charter and their public service mandate. And I guess if they could, Radio New Zealand would say, moving right along, nothing more to see here, folks. So let's go to MediaWorks and HTV. I thought they can that. Yes. MediaWorks, very exciting announcement this week. They're, they're bringing in the Edge TV and the Breeze TV to replace 3Life and 3Life Plus One. And you, you may remember the Edge TV from as being the station that was taken off here by MediaWorks in July last year. So very exciting they're bringing it back just six months later. It's quite quite an odd move. The reasoning behind it is that apparently 3Life wasn't finding its, its audience relative to its cost, which I guess means that no one was watching it and it was expensive. Uh, but it's very interesting they're bringing back the Edge TV just after quite publicly canning it. We did a story about it for Media Watch. There's no no longer any music TV. And now they're bringing it back, and I guess that's probably because it's at least a cross-promotion opportunity for their radio brands, which are actually the only part of MediaWorks' media brands that make money at the moment. I wonder what the Breeze TV would encompass. The Breeze TV is apparently going to be pretty much non... Well, from the looks of it, looks like it's going to be non-stop music videos from, I guess, the 70s and 80s, those classic music videos that... Oh, it's a music channel. ...people of a certain generation will like. And The Edge will also be a music sting. channel. Sting. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, there'll be a Sting video on there for you, I think, at least. Not it, me. Well, was that not you, Carol? <laughs> I thought you were a Sting fan. I heard some people were telling me... That you're a big Sting. Wait till we finish. Oh, this is very embarrassing. I interviewed Sting once, and sitting in a hotel room, he told me to put my cigarette out. How dare he? 
I thought that. It was when everybody smoked, of course. <laughs> it seems unusual that they'd be bringing back the Edge TV and the Breeze TV when the MediaWorks TV arm is up for sale. So this was actually addressed in the Q&A that was posted on Three's website. Michael Anderson, the CEO, he said this is not going to affect the TV sale at all. It appears that very little is going to affect the TV sale at the moment because it hasn't sold and it's been for sale since October. Maybe it will happen, but, I mean, the government's announcement last week that it's creating a supersized merged public broadcaster out of TVNZ and RNZ probably didn't encourage anyone there because part of that announcement was that TVNZ or the supersized broadcaster will still be in the commercial market trying to make money, which doesn't make MediaWorks' TV arm any more viable. So it's not great times, I guess, at the moment for MediaWorks, though it does now have the Edge TV back. They have nobody putting their hand up to buy it? It sounded like I had Intel on that, and I do not have Intel on that, but uh, it's been up for sale since October and there's no one buying it. No one has bought it as yet, though someone has bought the TV3 building in Auckland. Yes, sorry, that's where I got a bit confused because someone's bought the building and they're going to lease the studios back to the new purchaser of MediaWorks. Is yeah, that right? They're leasing it back to MediaWorks currently and I guess they'll lease oh, it back to the new purchaser of the TV arm if it happens but the radio as you know the radio business is also hosted there I, yeah not all of their radio studios are there though there's just actually it was radio live so i'm assuming but i don't actually know because i haven't been there for a while magic is in the middle of the newsroom yeah magic it used to be radio live but now it's ryan bridge sean plunkett uh, the magic team <laughs> don't make me say dream team dream team I'm happy to say it. Look, I've sounded a little bit sarcastic about MediaWorks, but it is actually pretty trying times and quite <clears throat> scary times, and it has been for some time for the MediaWorks people. So I kind of I do feel for the journalists there. Been like that for a very long time, though. Unstable. And yeah, there. it's a state of being. The people that I used to work at MediaWorks, and I think that the, everyone there is used to just being sort of on the edge of their seat ready to be ejected at any moment. <laughs> they're being sold. They're always being put into liquidation. They're being bought by venture capitalists, vulture firms. I mean, it's a, uh, they just keep on trucking. They're, they're resilient, if nothing else. Your annual contract will now be six monthly, <laughs> yeah. and now we'll make it six weekly. Yeah. And in fact, if we could make it a week long, that'd be great. Mm. And so, I mean, I guess what Radio New Zealand experienced this week is just what MediaWorks has been dealing with for, you know, the last decade. Let's go overseas now and big news on the American elections this year, the US elections, and Bernie has won New Hampshire. Well, it's big news for the Democrats, isn't it? It's big news for the Democrats, big news for Bernie Sanders, and I guess it, it, it's quite terrifying news for some in the Democrats that don't either don't see Bernie Sanders as electable or they see him as terrifying because he's a socialist. And I guess this has... That attitude is also spread, there's quite widespread in the US media, I think, or at least allegedly so by Bernie Sanders supporters. And some in the US media are choosing not to focus on the fact that Bernie has won and choosing to focus instead on the fact that Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar also made strong showings in second and third. Well, what's the thought process behind that? 
I think this has just been a running uh, joke or a running piece of anger for Bernie Sanders supporters that no matter what he does, the media always focuses on who what everyone else is doing. And because I guess it's this allegation of implicit bias in the media. And normally I'd say they don't have a point and the media just does whatever uh, is commercially the best for the media. That's always been my position. But in this case, it is it is quite striking how some of the US media do refuse to acknowledge Sanders winning or they try and paint his win as a bad thing. And one of those people is Chris Matthews on MSNBC. And he, this is, he, he was talking today about uh, Sanders' win, but his way of treating it was he said, well, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar together trounced Bernie in the election today. And so if you add second and third together, they did actually get more votes than him. But Chris Matthews, if you do remember, he was actually talking about Bernie earlier uh, last week, and he he was talking about how he was scared that Bernie might have put him against the wall. I remember the Cold War. I have an attitude towards Castro. I believe if Castro and the, and, the, and the Reds had won the Cold War, there would have been executions in Central Park, and I might have been one of the ones getting executed. And certain other people would be there cheering, okay? So I have a problem with people who took the other side. Certain other people there cheering, he's referring there to Bernie and his alleged support for Fidel, for Fidel Castro, etc. So, I mean, you do see a little hint of actual bias in the media when you listen to a clip like that. And has Twitter gone crazy? Any good jokes? Yeah, there's actually been quite a... I mean, I mean this, I'll just give you a couple that, that give you... A, a taste of the jokes that have been made. This from Cody Johnson. Look, Sanders trailing in first. Uh, <laughs> and this from the Twitter jokester, Twitter comedian Pixelated Boat. Pseudonymous, his name is not actually Pixelated Boat. Pete Buttigieg wins hotly contested race for New Hampshire runner-up, solidifying his position as the Democratic one-back from the front runner. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I guess if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, you would be a bit peed off. Yeah, you and but I mean also being aggrieved is sort of a, a really motivating factor and also part of the kind of the identity uh, of a Bernie Sanders supporters, which is that you are trying to fight this entrenched power of liberalism and this entrenched power of kind of centrist uh, business as usual politics, and so actually being angry at something is uh, a good motivating force. And can I just ask you, who do you think is going to win the Democratic nomination? Look, I'm just going to go with 538's projections, which is that 40% chance of Bernie Sanders winning the nomination, one-third chance of no one getting majority, which I guess would, look, it's Byzantine US politics, but a contested convention. And then the other chance, the, the next best chance actually that it has is still to Joe Biden, which who got 8% today, but is... Uh, he has a one in six chance, according to them. I think that that's probably about right. Bernie Sanders is the, is the front runner now because Pete Buttigieg still doesn't have a lot of minority support. He won't do well on Super Tuesday.